Welcome to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast, where we look inside the mind of seven-figure entrepreneurs to see how they amplify their business and amplify their life. Let's welcome today's guest. Today's guest is an award-winning serial entrepreneur who owns seven businesses with their consolidated revenues approaching nine figures. Most notably recognized for his journey from homelessness to owning multiple multi-million dollar producing businesses, he uses the power of his past to help people discover who they are, why they are here, and what to do about it. He's the founder of the Journey Principal Institute, host of the Stuck to Unstoppable podcast, and the creator of Transform You, a propriety process to help people from all walks of life level up and catapult forward he's been featured in notable media outlets including forbes entrepreneur thrive global nbc abc and more he and his wife karen spend as much time together as possible with their three children and grandchildren and reside in the greater raleigh durham area of north carolina please give a very warm welcome to the show today's guest Stephen Scoggins how what's you doing, going Stephen? on Paul man how you doing dude I'm ready to go Wait, let's I... let's have some fun oh yes super super excited to dive in uh today now Stephen one of the one of the quotes that I heard you talk about is fear and failure only have the power that you actually give to it what what does that mean for you and then what does that mean for our listeners at home as well yeah. So, you know, when it comes to building a business, um, a lot of, well, my number one biggest mistake in building a business was not building myself right along the way. Um, and I think that's something that entrepreneurs inherently do by accident that, you know, they get so focused on trying to scale this and scale that and this turn this new idea into a product or a service and all this good stuff. Um, and then I discovered that one of the greatest things that was holding me back was my fear and insecurities as I was growing up. So, uh, just a very quick overview. Grew up in a very broken environment. Um, found myself homeless at one point in time. Um, had a mentor that radically changed my life. And as a result, <clears throat> he began to help me understand the power of self-awareness, right? So if fear and failure only have the power that you give it, you're either feeding it or you're using it to elevate, right? So if you're, you know, mine was an insecurity. I had people with all kinds of MBAs, CPAs, ABCs, EFGs, like behind their names. And here I was the high school dropout who's the CEO and the founder of the organization, right? So it's like, um, I feel inferior. I have this uh, imposter syndrome. Like, uh, did, am I building the business or are they building business? I don't know if I, I don't even, do they even need me? I need, do I need, I, you know, all this kind of stuff, which means you're going to be acting and reacting out of fear. Right. And for the first five or six years before I really hired my first team members and really kind of got going, um, it was a, a lot easier. I didn't have people to manage. I didn't have people to, to report to report to me. I didn't have people to uh, hold me accountable. I didn't have any of that stuff. There was no need. Right. Well, then I started adding on team members left and right. And, um, you know, as, as growth normally happens. And then you realize, oh, crap, now I got to lead people like, oh, man. And then you realize that if you're leading out of fear or you're leading out of insecurity, what they see is defensiveness. They see judgment. Um, they see dominance, right? But they don't see passion. They don't see integrity and they don't see character. You know, so one of the things I like to encourage all leaders to do, um, whether, you know, you're uh, a seven, you know, seven figure company, eight figure company, six figure, whatever, whatever stage of the game you're at is have this concept of continual improvement, right? I think the Japanese call it Kaizen. I think here in America, as we call it mindset, you know, the sexy word mindset, right? No matter what you call it, you have to be continually opening your opening yourself up to be 
um, taken to a new level on a regular basis. And I find that people who operate out of fear actually hold themselves back from the very relationships they need to, inev to inevitably actually scale their business. And those that tend to find a way to work on themselves and overcome their fears, overcome imposter syndrome, overcome the insecurities of maybe you know a top performer or something like that, that maybe you're kind of threatened by, if you can somehow partner with these people, what happens is you open the doors and as a result, you get to scale very quickly. So if you're giving fear and failure power, then it's going to disrupt you. If you're taking that power away from fear and failure, then it's going to scale you. That's it's super powerful stuff. And uh, I totally agree with what you're saying. The thing I like that you say as well is leadership. You know, mm -hmm. not, not uh, we, we have a phrase in our business that I'm not your boss. Yeah. Right. There's no such thing as a boss. It's it's a leader, and a leader is guiding person with personal development. I think that's so powerful. Well, I have a, I have a funny story for you, real fast, on the subject of having a boss. I went to an event one time, and the the, the head speaker said, "A boss is nothing more than a dupus with a title." So every time someone comes to my building and they're brand new to the team, and they go, "Hey, what's up, boss?" I'm like, "Please stop calling me that." They're like, why? Because every, every time I every time I hear you say that, I hear you're a doofus with a title. <laughs> I don't want to be a doofus with a title. <laughs> no, I oh man, I, I, we are totally aligned in that. Now you, you've built multiple successful seven figure businesses in in numerous different niches. So mm -hmm. how how do you quickly scale those new businesses and and then come out of that? day to day you know without having to learn a brand new industry every time because it must be quite a learning curve right so is it mm -hmm. about putting the right people in the right seats or, or is the certain patterns that you see over and over well first of all i think it i think it i think you can actually use a building one business as a template for building other businesses mm. um the number one thing that they all have in common is people now your scalability is directly reflected to the amount of people that you may or may not need for your team so i'll give you an example um, when I built my first business, it was just me, literally, you know, pulling stuff out of the trash piles and, and building some scaffolding and kind of getting going. Because one of my one of my flagship companies is construction business. Well, about five or six years in, I discovered very quickly that I didn't actually have a construction business. I had a personal development company masquerading as a construction business, right? And here's why I say that: is because I became so passionate about building myself and trying to become better. Um, not for the sake of my team, not for the sake of them, but for the sake of myself. Like I wanted to be able to lead well. I just want to be able to lead well. Okay. Mm. So I think by using that same framework, you're going to understand that like every other business there, there, it go, it comes in phases. There's the inception or the idea phase, right? Um, that's, that's you having an idea, a concept, a passion, a burning, a yearning, or in my case, a need, right? I, I, I built my first businesses because out of necessity, I didn't have another choice, um, Later learned that I loved entrepreneurship, later learned that I love leadership, later learned that I love my team and culture and all this kind of stuff. But after inception, very quickly, it becomes the groundwork phase, right? You're, you're going in for, okay, my idea now has to have a, a piece of groundwork to actually begin to understand. And the groundwork phase is interesting because in the groundwork phase, it's not just building a, fi a firm financial footing. Okay, that's one element. In a groundwork phase, you're, you're trying to set the tone for what you want your culture to be what you want your leadership to be, what you want your current, your current customers or your clients to think of you when they think of you, right? It, there's, there's a whole lot more to it. It's, it's kind of like setting the tone of what you stand for and what you stand against, right? And after that, you're able to kind of go to the next phase, which is the implementation phase. At the implementation phase, you now are implementing your day-to-day -day operations. And typically after an implementation phase, if you've done the other two phases really well, 
what you have is a rapid acceleration. Okay, a rapid acceleration. Customers love you. Team members love you. Your, your company's scaling. It's going fast. And that acceleration typically lasts for 12 to 18 months before it not doesn't it doesn't have a crash, but it has a uh, what I call a correction. Mm. All right, because at each level of success, your business is going to require different levels of infrastructure. Okay, so for the construction industry, for example, it was probably 10 years in before I ever actually could actually read a balance sheet, a PL statement understand what ARPU was and all these different, you know, because again, I wasn't, I wasn't trained. I'm, I'm experience born, right? Not, yeah, not yeah, classically yeah. trained, right? Well, when I started my, when I started one of the other businesses, the Journey Principles Institute, which is one of my hearts, um, which is all about serving the person that I used to be and really kind of accelerating that personal development company. In 2015, um, I released my first book. My first book did pretty well. That led me to speaking. That led me to, you know, a rapid social media growth for a little while. Um, and then very quickly, you realize that you're trying to talk to too many people about too many different things, right? So we had a rapid acceleration, and then we had rapid correction in that we had to have more clarity. Like, what is it I'm actually called to do? Like, what is it I'm supposed to be doing? Because out of me will flow the elements of the organization. Um, it, it, by definition, will define the team members that I'll choose for the organization. So I think it, if you just understand that business is business, all right? So there's, there's people. <clears throat> there's products and services, and there's the process that undergirds the whole thing. Okay. Everything else you have to open yourself up for to learn and experience along the way. You can't be so concrete in your thinking that you're not flexible enough to adapt. And you can't be so flexible that you can't get anything done because there's no process or systems. So I think the 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 quickest way to kind of take one business and then scale to another one is first maximize the first business, right? That first business is going to take you five to 10 years to get to a place where the business can operate on its own with mentorship from you, not necessarily direct leadership or day-to-day integration, right? Until you're out of the day-to-day something, you should not actually be trying to take ownership or trying to start another company, right? My flagship business, I was joking around with you before we hopped officially on air, you know, that my, my, my executive team is meeting in the other room right now, having a having a, a budget meeting, some other stuff like that. I can trust that I've got great leaders in there because I've, I've worked really hard to identify leaders, pour into leaders, and also give them outside in, uh, information to help them grow themselves as leaders. All of my leaders have their own little mastermind groups that I pay for, for them to go to. And I do that because I even if I tell them the same stuff, right? I'm too close, yeah. right? As a CEO. And as a result, that allows me to scale quickly. So people process more than anything else and then make sure you've got some level of performance metrics to actually kind of guide it that will allow you to scale one and then you take the infrastructure of how you did that and you drop in the the product the service the details that then you drop that stuff in and you can scale pretty quickly i love it i love it that's like essentially a blue a real big blueprint for uh, (laughs) hey here's all the pieces of the jigsaw now you spoke in that as well about culture and mm-hmm. um, one of the things about culture is that is that culture something that is consistent throughout your whole company? Is like almost like your your DNA and your identity, mm-hmm. or does it does it change from company to company? And you weigh out what the values are and stuff be- before you start each one. Well, for me, all of my companies have the same type of temperament, mm-hmm. the same type of humor, and the same type of culture. Right? Your organizations are going to be an amplification of what you believe. Right. Um, all of my businesses, for example, use a, use uh, a key phrase: treat people how you want to be treated. 
Yeah. Now, I did not invent that, right? It's been around for thousands of years, said in 100,000 different ways. But when people feel seen, valued, and heard, the reality is, is they feel more committed. They feel more uh, kind of brought in, adopted in, bought in, if you will. And they feel twice as much to actually want to stay with your organization, even if they're making a little bit less money than they can make across the town because they know they're not getting mistreated, right? What I see a lot of entrepreneurs do, and I love them because you know, I am an entrepreneur. Like I, I, I can recognize an entrepreneur as soon as I meet one, right? Like they just, there's a certain DNA about them. But one of the biggest mistakes that they often do is they're so focused on achieving the success that comes with building a business and going through the sacrifice and having to be resilient and grinding it out and all this kind of stuff, especially in the early days, that they lose sight of the quickest way for them to scale is to build a quality team. So we actually have things that we do internally. I'll give you a couple of examples of things that we do internally that I think help set the tone for culture. Uh, first of all, every Friday morning, I teach my team, and sometimes I'll actually live stream it on Instagram, uh, me teaching my team a life skill, a business skill, some type of personal and professional development skill. Okay. Hmm. So that's me giving of my DNA, my beliefs, where I've been, how like what the hardships that I've kind of been through, um, the stupid mistakes that I've made. And I've made a lot of them. And some of them were very expensive. Um, survive them, thank God. Right. But there's experience there. So I give that to my team on a weekly basis. Okay. In that same production meeting, uh, towards the tail end of the thing, we, we do two different things. Um, first of all, we have what we call corporate shout outs, right? Mm. So this is another team member coming up to the microphone, whether in one of, because we, you know, we have a physical home office and then we've got um, different offices in different states and we Zoom people in and all that kind of stuff, right? <clears throat> it doesn't matter if you're attending live or, or, or via Zoom, you're invited to come up to the microphone and recognize another team member for excellence, right? This week, Jane killed it. She helped me get this thing. She worked late. She helped me get this thing done. Everybody give Jane a round of applause. <laughs> right? And we all go, yeah, right? Um, because we realize that people want to feel validated, right? Mm. And so many times organizations don't validate their team members. Um, they do it. You know, someone comes in, they kill it. They do it. They work the extra hours. They're given to themselves. They, they miss a birthday or they miss a baptism or something that is really important to them in their lives to sacrifice something for the company and the company doesn't even notice. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? You have to intentionally notice people's difficulties. I just was notified before we hopped on air um, that one of my team members just lost a parent, right? Wow. So what we're going to do is we're going to love on that team member. As soon as I'm done with this, I'm probably going to, she, assuming she's still in the building, I'm going to give her a big hug, right? Because that's a difficult thing. So what that does is that allows us to recognize people. And then we also have something called peaks and valleys. So <clears throat> peaks and valleys is what's the high point of the week and what's the low point of the week. Now, peaks and valleys are not just business. In fact, what we do is we encourage people to say, hey, look, give us a peak in the business. Give us a, give us a peak in your life. Hmm. Okay, give us a valley this week in the business. Give, me a valley, give us a valley of your life, right? What happens is you, you uncover um, very important things in people's lives that you can applaud and be excited about and kind of come alongside of them and like be like super stoked about. And in the valleys, you're able to come alongside of them and encourage them and build them up and teach them a new way and love on them a little bit. And those are specific things that became culturistic. Okay. So that's, that's kind of, that's actually one piece, believe it or not. The second piece is I teach something called DNA. Okay. With my organizations. Okay. So DNA is the greatest principles that I live by as it relates to business, team, culture, leadership, et cetera. Okay. Um, we'll do it once a year. Once a year, I'll bring the team in 
and we'll have an extended time where we'll literally pull them out of the marketplace. I say, come, you know, we have a live event center. Come to the live event center. We're going we're gonna to have a mini seminar, a mini conference, right? And it might be myself and maybe some guest speakers and stuff like that come in and we're just, and I'm just teaching them the principles, right? Because I learned a long time ago that principles govern promises, yeah. right? There are certain principles that when applied always produce a positive result. And there's certain principles when left out always produce a negative result. For example, in your business, live by ratios. Don't go make a bunch of money and spend all the money because <laughs> next year might not be the same thing. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of people have realized that in the COVID environment, right? They weren't prepared. They thought the market's roaring, all this kind of stuff. And something a long time ago told me to, well, anytime that there's a, you're running in a bull market, there's always a bear trying to nip its heels, mm-hmm. right? So the bear is always going to replace. So those are specific items. And then the third thing I think that's most important, and I come on already mentioned this, is I intentionally send my leaders to leadership training in a venue that, that they choose, but that I can improve. Meaning if I feel like the leadership person they're going to kind of learn from is a person of character and integrity and stuff like that, I'll pay for it, knock yourself out, come back, tell us all about it when you get back. How can we use it to pivot our organization? What ideas do you have? Um, however, if it's not a good thought leader, then I'll probably say, well, have you looked in, have you considered so-and-so's content on this, this, and this? That doesn't seem, it seems counterproductive to who we're trying to become. So those are three specific ways that you can kind of like get your culture in line because your business is always going to be a semblance of you, typically a more loud version of it. Mm. That's, there's so many, it's nice to know where I am in my business, right? That mm-hmm. that I'm like, oh, we're doing the, doing some of the right things because like we do things like sharpening of the saw and customer wow on a Friday. Mm-hmm. So everyone has to come with a customer wow idea and a, and a sharpening of the saw idea. So yeah. those call to things I think are so, so crucial. Do you, th- do you think that's probably been one of the biggest reasons for your success? I think so, because I, th- I th- again, I, th- I think we that interesting discovery that was an important one, <clears throat> realizing that I wasn't really having a construction company. Yes, construction is a widget, right? Mm-hmm. So I, my business has ranged from construction to real estate to thought leadership and, and now personal brand. Um, all of them, all of them share the same principles. All of them share the same culture. All of them share the same heart. And inevitably people want to be somewhere where they feel like they can grow. Even if it might take them a couple of years to, you know, go from a different role to a different role because of, you know, opportunities and expansion and stuff like that. Sometimes it takes a little time. If they feel like they're growing as people, and they're having better relationships, they're having better financial pictures, they have someone who believes in them, you can build something really, really amazing. And I think, again, I think entrepreneurs as a whole, especially ones who are in the what I call the scale mode, right? They're, we got to scale, we got to scale, we got to double, we got to triple, we got to quadruple. I'm thinking to myself, um, your organization will cave in on itself if you don't do this culture work first. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because you end up building the belly of a monster. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you end up building a prison for yourself. Yeah. Right? I mean, you know, one of my businesses is, is in the well into the eight figures. And I, I, there have been times, I even told my wife this not, not too terribly long ago. I said, sometimes it feels like a prison. Like, oh my gosh, it's all consuming. You know, in market trends and market shifts. And, you know, I, and it takes me about 24 to 48 hours to suck it up. And like, dude, you've been through this stuff before. Quit, you know, quit, <laughs> quit, quit. What, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, quit having a pity party, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, kind of thing, right? You, you are the guy, whether you like it or not, you're the guy, right? So anyway. 
That's that, that's really cool. And, and you say about market trends and things. So over the, you know, obviously the last 12 to 24 months, you also mentioned about, you know, being in a bull market and then going to mm-hmm. a bear market. So t- tell me how... How how did you how did you pivot during that time? Because I know you, you like you mentioned you've got stuff with live events. You've also yep. you know got a lot of in in the entertainment industry and lots of yeah. different things going on. So how how did you pivot and how did you pro- proactively prepare before it even came? <laughs> yeah, well, it's all right. So the, here's the cool thing, and I think every everybody listening and watching should should probably jot this down. Feel free to pause whatever you want to do because um, this was this was super duper important. Um, you've already heard me say the principles govern promises. Well, my first mentor a long time ago said, stay the hell out of debt. Mm. Stay out of debt, increases risk, right? Um, you know, and you'll hear other people say, well, no, healthy, le- there's nothing wrong with healthy leverage and, and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> the reality is, is I have always been cash funded organizations. Now, <clears throat> can I go out and get a credit line that, you know, in the seven and eight figures, Probably. Um, do I need it? No. Um, should I go get it? Eh, maybe. Right. The reality was is when pr- if principles govern promises, then what I had to do is I had to set the table to be even keel in both a bull and a bear market. Okay. So when we went into 2019, we were set up to have a breakneck year and 2020 was supposed to be even better. Mm-hmm. Okay. And obviously we get into the COVID environment. And it's, it's March. Um, I, I, I got a friend of mine that's in the CIA. So he gave me a two day notice that North Carolina, which is where we're at, was about to get shut down. Um, so I, I, I gave my, all of my team members a few hundred bucks. I said, look, everybody leave the business right now. Go ahead and hit the grocery stores. Come back. I'll tell you why when you get back. <clears throat> and so they, you know, so everybody went and did it, came back. I said, okay, well, here's what's going to happen in the next 48 hours. Um, based on my contact, my contact said in the next 48 hours, we're, they're going to shut the, you know, shut the, you know, essentially shut the state down. Well, from the time that they shut the state down to five or six days later, um, essentially we became one of, you know, the main business was for, fortunately for us was an, was considered essential business. Okay. Now, however, even after that on day six, which turned out to be one of our Friday production meetings. All right, we had already kind of moved everybody. All right, everybody's zooming in this week. We don't because we don't know what's happening. We don't know what's going on. But because of that, I was able to communicate to the team essentially number one encouragement, empowerment, and also flat out tell them, guys, we're not in a position we have to we have to let anybody go. <clears throat> we have some runway. We have capital. Um, we've got savings and retained earnings, which is why I think it's it's important to live by ratios, especially in the early days, right? Um, I did uh, what I call maximum living wage for the first five years in business, right? So I took only what I needed mm. so I could actually then put more retained earnings and more capital in the business that allowed me to con- continue funding my growth. Um, not everybody has the discipline to do that. I think everybody should be doing that um, because when you borrow other people's money and you have a COVID or something like that happen, you're completely out of You have no control over that. The bank can call a note. They can say, you know what? Force of majeure. Uh, we need our money back, which happened in 2008 during the downturn, which is when I learned the lesson. Um, but essentially what it was is I was able to put together and say, look, we have these tripwires and this, this is what will happen with our team and our organization. once we hit these tripwires and letting people go, wasn't until like the fourth tripwire, right? Um, we got all the way down to the fourth tripwire and we released a handful of team members, and then within 30, oh no, 60 days, we brought them all back. Hmm. 
except for the weak, the weak ones we actually re politely we replaced. Um, you know, so th that kind of gives you an idea of you've got to have a stair step methodology. Um, what I saw a lot of businesses do is they got very scared, very fast, and did stupid. <laughs> I'm serious, yeah. right? And you know, and, and in the world today, you hear about all the different businesses that close, all this kind of stuff. It's because their mind wasn't set to endure. And the reality is, is if you're going to be in, I've been in business for over 20 years, right? I have seen market shift, markets come and go. I know what's going to happen, right? 2008 was the downturn. It was a massive downturn in the States. <clears throat> you know, so we dealt with that. Um, I dealt with one other major market shift because, you know, with as it related to hurricanes one year, we had a bunch of hurricanes hit all at the same time, hit the manufacturing plants that we buy from and all this kind of stuff. And if you would just understand that you're not going to have a rocket ship rise year after year after year after year after year after year. Otherwise, there'd be hundreds of thousands of billion dollar organizations, right? Instead, what you have is many, many multi-million dollar organizations and about seven or eight, maybe 10, 15 that are like billion dollar organizations with massive values, okay? So the way in which I look at it this way is you have to prepare as if a bear is coming next year. Now, I'm not saying live in scarcity. I'm not saying don't buy, don't invest. I'm saying ratio it. For example, <clears throat> I know that my tax rate here in the States is over 50% now from where I'm at in my earning, right? Because most of my organizations are S-Corps. <clears throat> so I already know that a massive amount of money is going to be leaving, leaving the organization. Now, I can choose to invest more in technology for efficiency. I can then choose to invest more in team members for increased efficiency. Maybe, you know, C-suite professional, for example. I, we hired a new director of operations not that long ago. That came straight off the bottom line, but I saw it as a five-year pickup, meaning within five years, I'll get, their, I'll get 5X of that investment, mm. right? Pro provided they do their role, which they're, they're currently doing it really, really well. <clears throat> so if you understand that you need to portion size it. So and with COVID, for example, I paused part of my comp, just myself personally. I kept the team kind of whole. Um, my leadership team kind of did the same thing. So... But it all came from a methodology of we're constantly putting this money away. We're putting this percentage of money towards retained earnings constantly, like almost like an auto draft, mm. right? Um, we are staying as, as, as close to being out of debt as possible at all times. Have we borrowed money before? Yes, we borrowed money for vehicles, you know, from, and then we pay them off within, you know, typically 90 days. Okay, so we not the that in the in the states the ninety day window for example is the time it takes for you to get the full benefit of getting the the rebates and things that come with the come with the vehicle, right. and then you can actually then you can pay that off and then you know, so your interest carry is basically nothing so you get the full weight of the cash and you get the full weight of paying it off which and then you, then you depreciate over your books, <clears throat> all of that to say everything is one hundred percent percent is positioned around steady growth not rapid acceleration, okay, and predictable pivoting, right? You have to have the ability to be able to uh, pivot predictably, okay? So when COVID happened, we were able to say, okay, we have a step one, a step two, a step three, a step four, a step five, a step six, a step seven, okay? Most of the businesses that went under did not have any of those steps. The, the message was, oh, crap, I just lost all my revenue, lay off everybody, and then three months later, like, holy crap, I can't get anybody to come back to work. You see what I'm saying?
Freaking out will always get you in trouble as an entrepreneur. You've got to breathe. You've got to breathe. Hmm. It's just uh, fascinating. I, I've broken all that down as well. And there was uh, someone I knew that was a... Um, a, D, a dj as well so he mm-hmm. he was a dj with a, a company of other djs and like everyone else was like stressing out obviously there was no weddings going on or anything he had mm-hmm. his best year ever because he mm-hmm. went and did virtual graduations yep and, and he, he he got a list uh online and basically cold emailed every single school in the country pretty much <laughs> yeah. said, hey this is what we're gonna do um and just yeah made it his best year ever so yeah i mean it's, it's just how can i use this for me Hmm. rather than have it used against me it creates innovation it creates innovation you need the bad times to innovate otherwise you you get you get like slumbered to sleep because you're everything's going so great i can buy anything i want i'm going i have all the you know i'm i'm on the feature of forbes i'm doing all the and you're like and next thing you know you're all of a sudden you have a bad you know a bad economy and you're like oh crap no what do i do i don't have and then it's it forces you to innovate it's like a video game essentially like Mm -hmm. i like my wife says to me sometimes, you, you know, you, you seem to really enjoy working, and I was like, well, I yeah. enjoy working because it's the game. It's not, it's not the money. It's the, it's the game of a business and going, oh, well, what's going to come up? How can we fix this? And so, in in terms of you, you mentioned about, like, I didn't know which angle this <laughs> this was going to go down. Uh, what, how how do you feel about like the next twelve to twenty four months? Because it's like, like the economy has almost been overinflated, right? With Mm-hmm. with a monopoly money essentially yeah. so do do you think we're going to go back the other way are you like preparing for that already yeah so um it depends on the business type okay um you know i the live event center for example we'll use the live event space right everybody got a lot of folks got burned in live events um we were about to do a live event in 2019 and immediately pulled back and just said okay we haven't sold any, we haven't even started selling tickets yet we'll just table it it's not going to hurt anything um, but while that happened, I went and invested a considerable amount of money in into my facility. Um, so I'm sure you know who Tony Robbins is, right? So mm-hmm. he's got his massive virtual thing. We basically built that and then some in my building. So now it doesn't matter if it's going to be live or virtual. We can pivot and do one or the other, right? We also learned that having a virtual experience in many cases um, allows you to help more people at a lower price point and actually increase revenue, which yeah. is crazy, Okay. Because live events done well, they're expensive, right? You have to think about everything down to the air fresheners, like the experience. Now, with the construction business, for example, um, there's still tremendous amount of inventory need without having the inventory. One of the things I am paying attention to is something called a forbearance. Okay. okay? And this, this a forbearance, if you're in the real estate industry, this is something to keep an eye on. Forbearance essentially is people that are unable to be evicted or foreclosed upon as a result of COVID. And essentially what has happened over the last year and a half is it keeps getting kicked down the road. Like, you know, all the way down to the day, I think the last time they were supposed to, forbearance was supposed to go into effect in July 31st. And on July 31st, they said, no, we'll push it to next year. Okay. Now, people who own those properties in many cases are not actually getting a mortgage payment and or a lease payment. And they're not actually getting a subsidy from the government, not currently, which means at some point in time, that property may go into foreclosures to whoever, whoever else owns their property. You know, if they have a, you know, if, mm-hmm. so if I have a person who owns 10 properties, they're all partially funded by a bank, right? And they all have partial tenants that have all been technically part of this forbearance. 
then the person who owns the property all of a sudden is removed from the equation and the bank is not set up to be a lease a leaser or a a mortgage you know you know what i'm saying a, yeah. a real estate investor okay so i'm paying attention to that and uh, the primary reason is the last time i looked we have about uh, a need of about 4 million homes to satisfy the current national population in the us um they're building at a rate of 1.2 million and that includes flips okay so that means they got lots of runway before they'd ever meet market demand hmm. however there are roughly 12 million homes in forbearance. So, oh, wow. of the 12 million homes that are in forbearance, um, a third of them can be resold or sold, especially in a hot market. So that's that will then that then increases inventory, decreases need, so supply and demand, so prices begin to cool and stall. Okay, um, some of them will go into foreclosure, which means it'll be an empty piece of property while they're going through the the paperwork and going through all that kind of stuff. That'll take about six to eight months to wash out, okay? But then that property still gets dumped back into the into the system, okay? And some people will just start making their their real their payments, like their mortgage and their lease payments, okay? Hmm. Now, if you take a third of twelve billion, that still basically erases the actual U.S. need for housing. By the time you factor in what's being built at one point two million. A third of 12 million, which is roughly 3 million, that's 4.2 million homes. That means you now have a surplus of 200,000 homes a year, which means the entire thing falls in on itself. Yep. Wow. Okay. <laughs> now you factor in inflation on top of that. Um, and without getting too political, our our elected leaders don't know how to run businesses. Um, they make stuff up out of thin air and that drives me nuts. And, I, and that's not a one side or the other side kind of thing. That's just a, an observation with what they do with tax dollars, okay? As a result, what inevitably what happens is, is my team, for example, they're already, you know, they're already, as a rule of thumb, we typically do merit increases based on how well you performed year every year, okay? However, even if I, well, I'll say what, even with giving them their merit increases in the upcoming year, maybe let's say they killed it, okay? And they had a great time. I mean, they, they, just, they, they rocked it. They were amazing team members. I can't pay them enough next year to offset the amount of inflation that is currently taking advantage of them now just by going to the grocery store. <clears throat> the last time I looked, we we're getting close to 6%. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if I go into your bank account and took six extra percent of, of your money out of your account and then asked you to, to basically go take care of the expenses that you had last month with 6% less, you're going to feel less buyer confidence and probably a little a higher level of fear. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you look at commodities, you look at manufactured goods, you look at inflation as it relates to that, you look at the incoming tax structure that's coming against, and I, and I would use the word against, against um, small business owners, right? In theory, because we're trying to maneuver something from the billionaires, and they have tax attorneys out the wazoo to figure all this tax stuff out. The small business owner is the one that gets nailed, okay? I actually feel like, and this is my personal opinion based on the data that I can see in front of me, and, I, and my opinion can shift. Three months, six months from now, if I see other pieces, right? I have a feeling we'll probably see a pretty substantial correction in the middle part of next year. Hmm. That's my personal opinion. Um, I don't think it'll be bad, as bad as 2008. And I don't think it'll be necessarily COVID bad. Meaning hmm. the, everything just shuts down and nobody's doing anything. More like slow. <laughs> more more like, yeah. Right, because people will have less money to spend. So they'll spend less. Um, everything that they are spending on costs them more. Uh, organizations like myself cannot keep up with that 
with a merit increase, like your typical rate increase, to offset the amount of money. So let's assume I can give 3% out, right? Hmm. Well, 3% is still 3% shy of 6%. Yeah. Right? So they're still paying 3% more for the stuff that they were buying last year just fine. So all of that to say, <clears throat> you have buyer confidence that will change. If the forbearances, keep, if, if the forbearances uh, continue getting kicked down the road, it buys more and more time. But it's kind of like to your point earlier, it's just all that is is printed money, right? Yeah. I don't even know that. The, I, don't, I honestly don't know based on the amount of debt. I think we're at what, $36 trillion, $37 trillion or some, something like that now um, with, with our new stimulus that they're doing. <laughs> if, if you go and look at statistic, I mean, like from 1990 all the way to basically current value, you see in 2019 a rocket ship, a rocket ship of debt. Not a little bit of debt, not an intermediate bit, little bit of debt. We're talking trillions upon trillions upon trillions. And keep in mind, in the 90s, we had several wars we were funding. Mm. Right? That should scare the hell out of everybody. Right? It should wake them up and, in theory, give them some wisdom to vote better. Yeah. Right? To do the due diligence, not fall for all the, the, the traps and things that people fall in during election cycles with hate this and hate that. And it's like, do your due diligence. Right, because now, now as a country, we're probably going to pay a price. Unfortunately, <clears throat> so regardless of who you voted for, it was like the people who are pushing the buttons and doing the analytics and all this kind of stuff. I just I don't see any other way around a correction myself personally. That's just me. Yeah, uh, I I freaking love that answer, and I'm going to be doing some reading. <laughs> I, just, I just I just say that. So um, we we are slowly running out of time today, Stephen. Unfortunately, so one question we ask everyone, uh, very briefly, uh, who comes on the show is, what do you want to be remembered for when you die? You know what? I've actually <clears throat> I was asked not too long ago to another show, um, what I want my epitaph to say, which is kind of the which is kind of the same thing, um, and I still haven't decided if I want to be buried or burned. I don't know. <laughs> like I, I haven't gotten that far yet. All right. Um, but wherever I'm memorialized, I wanted to say something along the lines of here's a man that set out to change the world and did. I love it. I love it. That's what I, I want. I, I believe you. I believe you, you're well on course. <laughs> oh, thank <laughs> with, you. I appreciate that. With the amount of value you brought to us today. So, um, then what seven figure plus entrepreneur would you nominate to be on the show next, Stephen? You know what? I was thinking about that <clears throat> a little bit today about people that I would like to see shine even brighter. Mm. And there are actually there's three. Um, so my good friend Evan Carmichael, you definitely should get him on. Um, Anthony Trucks, uh, whose identity we've had Anthony a few weeks back, he was awesome. Oh yeah, he's incredible. Um, and the next one is going to be uh, Nick Bradley. Okay. Nick Bradley. He uh, Nick Bradley's had more exits than Exxon. Um, he's a very he, like he's a very very gifted. Comes from the P and E world, um, but he's been burned by the P and E world. Like part of his story is being burned and seeing that. Um, although he made a ton of money, there was a lot of missing meaning and significance and stuff like that. Um, he's based out of the UK, but he's a, he's a good friend of mine. Um, and I'd be happy to introduce you guys. Fan fantastic. Now, Stephen, I just wanted to say appreciate you so much for all the value that you've brought today as well. And we've gone really deep on on some on some stuff. So, <laughs> where can people hear more about uh, all the businesses that you've got and the number of ways you know that they can communicate with you? Gosh, I mean, if, if folks want to, maybe something resonated with them today and they want to take advantage of just staying connected, um, I'm most active right now on Facebook and Instagram, probably more so on Instagram. And that's just Stephen with a PH underscore Scoggins. 
Uh, you can always visit stevenscoggins.com. And then I also released uh, weekly or daily content on YouTube as well. Everything from training to podcasts, all kinds of stuff. So feel free to consume as much as you want. Always happy to engage. Fan- fantastic. It's been a pleasure having you on your show. Thank you very much today, Stephen. My pleasure, Paul. See you, buddy. Take care. Awesome. You have been listening to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast with me, Paul Ace, and my amazing guest, Stephen Scoggins. Remember, amplify your business and amplify your life. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast. To access the show notes, episodes, and this month's giveaway, head over to www.amplifytosevenfigures.com. Remember, amplify your business, amplify Amplify your your life.